Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. Um, today we have an interesting guest here from the West Coast, uh, Monica Mazay. And she's with the firm of uh, Simon and Bancroft. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Excellent. So just to kick things off here, I know it's early in the morning there. Uh, what's your favorite beverage to get you started in the morning? So I am having right now an Americano with a splash of almond milk. Very nice. So you you like strong coffee then? I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Because I know Americano is strong. You make it yourself or you get it from Starbucks? I make it myself. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> and I've also weaned myself off of uh, uh, dairy. I, I just I just use uh, coconut milk or almond milk too. Yeah, you can't um, tell the you can't really tell the difference. You get used to it. No, you you absolutely do get used to it. And uh, except for a little bit of ice cream once in a while, I've kind of like off all that stuff. It doesn't agree with me anymore. So uh, cool. Well, anyway, so you're a West Coast person. It looks like you're. Is that where you're from? Are you from the West Coast? I am. I'm from San Francisco, and I've always lived in California. So um, I've never ventured uh, far, but it's a great place to live. So I think I'm I'm pretty stuck here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a nice place. I used to uh, travel out there quite a bit uh, for business. It's been, a, it's been a while. San Francisco is a great city. And it, your office is in San Francisco? Yes, we have an office in San Francisco. Um, and one in Paris, um, but uh, I live here in the Bay Area, so working remotely most of the time. But oh, you are still working remotely, okay? Yep. Most of us are still working remotely, so kind of a hybrid going into the office some days, but but mainly working from home. Okay, so reading your background it looks like you had a really interesting practice. So tell us what you do and how you spend so, your day. I will. So the last. Uh, 20 some years, I have been practicing family law. I have a little bit of an unusual practice in that I don't handle any child custody or any uh, kid issues. So I just focus on the financial part of the divorce. So um, usually cases involving private equity firms, venture capital firms, hedge funds. Um, you know, I live near Silicon Valley, so we get a lot of privately held companies, a lot of stock option issues. Um, so I just help people in terms of valuing their assets and financially disentangling themselves in a divorce. Okay. So, um, and, but it, it looks like you're just from reading your back, it looks like you're also focused on like high net worth people. So you must have some interesting uh, clients that you work with. Give us some, give us a little bit of color. Yes. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of money here in California as yeah. people know. And um, so we do have a lot of, um, wealthy, you know, tech money. There's a lot of uh, startups here in Silicon Valley, a lot of successful privately held companies. So, um, you know, not only am I involved in divorces, but I'm also involved in prenups involving high net worth couples. Um, and recently, just in the last, I would say two years, a lot of cryptocurrency. So a lot of clients that have, you know, made their wealth in crypto, crypto platforms and um, you know, mining crypto. So it's a, it's kind of an interesting area now. Um, yeah. Family law. So get, like, give me an example, like a typical case that you would work on. 
Um, most of our cases are the the estates are maybe a hundred million plus. So okay, a lot of yeah, a lot of big um, estates. Mm -hmm. you know, um, a lot of complicated assets. Um, you know, they might have a lot of trusts uh, that we need to um, you know revoke, untangle. Um, there's a lot of privately held investments. A lot of people use their money to make angel investments. So you know, they just have a lot of of private investments, we need to decide what's going to happen with that. And then they have their, usually they have their own business. So we have to decide whether we're valuing the business, if the other spouse is going to uh, kind of stay in and ride along um, or get cashed out. And what is that going to look like and how much and how do we structure that deal? Um, a lot of times someone doesn't have the liquidity on their balance sheet to write a, you know, a big check to the other person. So we have to get creative in terms of how we're going to structure that deal. So it's, a, it's actually a very interesting, creative exercise. And I really like trying to put these settlements together. It's kind of like oh, yeah. together all these pieces of a puzzle. Yeah, I would think so. So um, I would imagine you probably need financial experts involved to help with valuing assets, things like that. Yes, valuation experts, forensic accountants, um, appraisers. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had to use an expert for, for all kinds of things. Um, I had to use an expert in a um, high-end um, exotic car restoration business, uh, Persian rug business. So um, you get to learn about a lot of different types of companies when you do this work, which I yeah. think is fascinating. Where, where do you get your experts from? Do you have a sort of a, a group that you use all the time or how do you find them? Yeah, you know, I think over the years I've curated my short list of, of my go-to people that I like to use, um, yeah. you know, you just work with over the years. So um, I tend to work with the same, you know, the same experts, especially forensic accountants. Those are, those people are very helpful when you're getting a divorce. Um, so I have a very short list of people that I typically work with. Got it. I mean, like, like in other cases, um, do you rely on the opinion of the of these experts? Like, I mean, do you ever go to trial in these things, and you and you need them to to support your case? Yes, very rarely do we go to trial. Most of okay. these clients here in California, high net worth, are using private judges. Okay. So taking the case completely out of the public court system for privacy. Uh -huh privacy reasons and just to get the case done a little bit faster. The court systems here in California are uh, fairly slow and since COVID very backlogged. So uh, it's even more of a reason not to be in the public court system. So we do use private judges um, and we're all meeting on Zoom these days, still not in person. Um, and these forensic accountants, they will even participate in settlement conferences. They'll issue reports, they'll talk directly to the judge and then if you really need them to, which is rare, and you have to go to trial, they they do testify at trial. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. How many how many times have you actually had to go to a courtroom? Um, well, for a full blown trial, probably only about a dozen. Okay. Yeah. So I would say very rarely, and and I think the goal is to not go to trial. So I think there's um, it's a successful case if you. Uh, have a settlement agreement and you don't have to go to trial. That's a success. So. Yeah, interesting. And so, I mean, is it exclusively ultra high net worth people or do you have a whole spectrum of people? 
You know, we, we have a range in our office, um, you know, for smaller estates, um, you know, all the way up to, yeah. of, say, ultra high net worth. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a range, um, but we tend to, because we offer such complicated service, you know, services, we tend to get clients that um, kind of really need a, a certain level of help on yeah. their divorce. You have a brand, I would imagine at this point, they know to, they know to come to you. <laughs> Um, Sidemen and Bancroft has had a very strong family law department, you know, for a, a couple decades now. So it is kind of the go-to place if you're in Silicon Valley or San Francisco. Um, and unfortunately, you need our services. Yeah. Do you also cover the rest of the country or is it mainly West Coast? You know, it's <clears throat> it's only West Coast. We don't have any attorneys that practice our, okay. our practice in other states, but you know, what's developed from living in such an international city is that um, my practice now involves people that maybe live halftime here and halftime in Shanghai or France. And so what happens when those people go to get divorced is um, it's kind of a crossover between California law and some international. So over the years, I've, I've had cases, particularly with China um, and uh, France, of expats, you know, um, living in those cities or part-time or owning property or companies there. Um, oh, interesting, yeah. yeah. Do you have so to it, collaborate with other attorneys in those countries? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so now I have kind of family law contacts in Singapore and France. And um, and again, I think it's it's so interesting. I love to talk to different attorneys, especially from other countries, and find out about their practice and how they work or even how their office functions. Um, you know, some of it's very different uh, yeah. from how we operate in the U.S. So um, I love the international cases. Interesting. How, how big is your group that works on these cases? Um, our family law group um, within Sidemen is, is pretty small. I'm the only partner um, oh, and okay. associates and paralegals. But also what's a little bit different about um, our firm and, and being on the West Coast, most family lawyers here in California are either uh, solo practitioners, or maybe they've joined up with a couple other attorneys, so a smaller office. So Seidman's a bigger firm, and they handle other things, not sure. just family law, you know, corporate, estate planning, um, brand protection. Um, so, you know, because I'm there, I, I'm able to draw on the resources that we have. So sometimes corporate counsel will come into a case, um, you know, if we have um, a particular issue that, you know, um, we need, you know, business documents uh, drawn up or reviewed. Estate planning, I work with that group a lot. Most of my clients need a new estate plan once they get divorced. Um, so we work a lot with estate planning. So it's a small, small family law practice within a bigger firm that has a lot of resources. So it's a little bit unusual in that sense. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Is there is there any one case that you could talk about that stands out without naming people? Like, was it one you one more interesting case that comes to mind? Well, my favorite story is actually not a divorce story, but a prenup story. And this was maybe almost 10 years ago. Um, I had um, a client come to my office. She must have been in her 20s at the time. And um, she was getting married and she was adamant that she needed a prenup. So I asked about her assets and she didn't have any. Um, she didn't own a home. Um, I think that maybe she had a bank account, but she had an idea 
for a company and she was just about she was just starting starting it and she told me the idea for the company and i thought in in my head which is why i'm a lawyer and i and i'm I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's never going to work. I don't really see people, um, you know, kind of buying into this this service she's going to do. So, but you know, she was adamant that she wanted to make sure that this business was her separate property, and she was very passionate. So we do the premarital agreement and we sign in, and I don't really think much of it. And a couple, about two and a half years later, I'm at the airport and I'm, you know, in the magazine store before my flight, and I see her on the cover of Forbes, and the company is now valued in the billions. So, I um, amazing. What, what do I know about a successful company? I didn't think it was a very good idea, but apparently it was, and I just thought, um, you know. She, she really didn't have much to protect except her idea, but she knew enough and that was important enough for her to, um, you know, kind of stand up for herself and say, look, I, I think this is going to be worth something and, you know, good for her. Like she went through the cost and the time and the exercise to put that agreement together. And, you know, it just blew my mind that, um, you know, her company turned out to be what it was and, you know, kind of how smart and, and ahead of her time she was. So I love that. It probably story. changed your practice a little bit too, that that was another consideration I would, I would imagine, right? Yes. Well, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of a premarital agreement for anyone, quite frankly, because I'm, I, I think the family law system, especially in California, um, you know, has a lot of faults and I don't necessarily agree with the California family code. So I'm all for people creating their own marriage contract. I mean, you can opt out of what California provides um, and, and create your own agreement about what will happen. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of prenups. Even if you don't have any assets, you should think about, look, if this doesn't work out, don't we want to predetermine what's going to happen so we don't have to pay people like Monica a bunch of money? <laughs> um, you know, so uh, the, the states don't do a good job of informing people before they get married about what they're walking into. You don't get a pamphlet, you know, no one sits you down and makes you watch a video about what you're signing up for, um, but it's a lot. And people are often shocked after they get married about what they just agreed to. All my earnings are gonna be joint, you know, what in my business, if I start a business, that's gonna be, you know, community property, you know. Um, a lot of times, especially in where I live and with the younger generations, um, both people are starting companies. Both people are maybe entrepreneurs. It's sure. equally as important to both of them that their their babies, you know, their companies stay their own. So I'm a big proponent for creating your own marriage contract, even if you don't have any assets. Interesting. What What are the big flaws, like the big sort of gross flaws in the California system? Well, I think one is, unlike some other states, we don't have a formula to determine spousal support or what some states call alimony. Hmm. We don't have a computer software system. We don't have a formula. We have these 13 factors that a judge can consider. And depending on what county you're in, what judge you have and what side of the bed that they woke up on that morning, you know, you could get very different results. It's very inconsistent. I think it's one, it's probably the most litigated issue in family law in California is spousal support. You know, so things that a prenup can do, you know, to, to address that is you can actually um, agree on a formula ahead of time, you know, yeah. so 
if there's a divorce, you know, you're not subject to this um, kind of very broad gray area uh, way of determining the amount and the length of support. Yeah. It actually predetermine how it's going to be figured out. I mean, that's, I would imagine it's a pretty awkward conversation to have as you're going into this thing, expecting only the best, right? To have that discussion. Yes, I tell people I can't. I can't guarantee you that this isn't, you know, going to be awkward uh, and a little uncomfortable, um, you know. But but people are getting more used to the idea. I think hearing about prenups in the media and celebrity prenups helped that and and make yeah. it a bit more normalized. The younger generations don't seem to be as offended by it. Um, you know, I think um, at a different time it was, you know people would be very upset if they were presented with the idea of having a prenup. Um, yeah. And I think um, nowadays it's more socially acceptable. People are talking about it at cocktail parties. So. Yeah, it's crazy. So <laughs> in the example that you gave of th this huge success, did they stay married? Yes, they're still married. Ah, very good. Good. So it was a happy ending there. Yes. So far, so good. Good, good, good. I know you probably can't say what the business was, right? I cannot, because then I'm you would. Really, I'm that. really curious to know <laughs> what, that, what that is. I mean, I've been around some of those things. Like I, I lived in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, and the woman started at Blue Mercury, which you may know about, mm -hmm. cosmetic business, yep. fabulously successful. And uh, I wonder if they had a prenup. <laughs> no, I. I would imagine so. Um, a lot of anyone that works with a financial advisor nowadays, usually the financial advisors know enough to at least bring it up or you know plan, plan a seat saying, hey, do you think you should get a prenup? Yeah. Um, most financial advisors now are pretty savvy about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how'd you get started? I mean, how'd you get become a lawyer and why you're in this type of practice? Well, my mom said, what do you want to be when you grow up, a doctor or a lawyer? So I picked oh, yeah, two choices. That's it? Just to... <laughs> she, she did say that, and I joke, but, but my dad was an attorney, so I, I definitely had inspiration there. And I decided maybe about sixth or seventh grade to be an attorney, and I never changed my mind after that. Wow. Um, I went to law school in Los Angeles thinking that I was going to do entertainment law. I did an internship my first year of law school at Hearst Entertainment, and I thought, this is so boring. This is not what I thought it was going right. It was, you know, looking at contracts all day, very transactional, um, not, not, what I had, not what I had thought. I didn't kind of meet up to my glamorous expectation that I had of it. Um, and so I thought, I, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And my last year of law school, I took family law just because it fit in my schedule. Um, and it was my favorite class, my best grade. I absolutely loved it. I loved reading the cases. Uh, it really connected that the cases involved real families, real individuals. At the time I was in law school, um, the, it was the first same-sex custody case in California was yeah. being tried. So that was a very interesting issue, um, you know, then. And I just thought it was fascinating and said, this is more entertaining than entertainment law ever was. And this is what I want to do. And I started off at a firm in Beverly Hills, which was a great um, starting ground <laughs> to practice sure. divorce law. Oh, um, I bet you had some great yeah, experiences there, I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> yes. it was, it was um, very interesting and, and very fun. And then I 
took a position with um, a global law firm that at the time had family law, uh, knowing that that was going to probably be the last large firm in California to have family law, which it was. And um, that's where I started to learn about complex financial issues that really work on ultra high net worth cases. Mm. And, and that was my learning ground for, for you know, figuring all of this out and, and learning how um, venture capital works and private equity and hedge funds. So, um, and I, you know, about 15 years ago decided I was not gonna handle any child related issues anymore. And I think that's been really instrumental in the success of, of the cases I handle because what happens is it prevents people from tying together the kids and the money. Um, so when I'm having a, a discussion, it's just on the finances. And if, and if the kids are brought into it, well, we'll agree to you know this schedule if, if he pays this. I, I get to say, oh, sorry, I don't handle that part. <laughs> I can only talk about the, the money part. And it really separates them. And I, I really, I think it's better for the family. And I think we get better resolutions because of it. Um, what's it, what was your undergraduate degree? Um, my undergraduate degree was in English literature. <laughs> okay. um, I did not do pre-law, even though I knew I was going to go to law school. But oh, you I knew wanted, it. You knew you were going to go to I law school. I knew I was going to go to law school, but I wanted to pick a subject that I really loved. I, I knew it wouldn't quite matter so much what uh, my undergrad was going into law school. I, I'd learn what I needed to in law school. Um, so I picked something that I was just passionate about and loved, which is, is reading. And so um, English literature, but it, it's come in handy. Oh, sure. um, yeah, <laughs> I do a lot of writing and drafting. So. Oh, I think, yeah. I mean, there's no question. I mean, communication skills are, you know, numero uno mm-hmm. in, in anything really. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. My daughter's getting a, uh, She's studying sociology as an undergraduate. It's like, what are you going to do with that? So I, th- I think I think grad school is in the future for her too. <laughs> well, that, that's the beauty of it. With, a, with a, a general undergrad like that, you could do anything and everything, right? right. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, it's a, yeah I think uh, even investment bankers, which I you know, used to work with quite a bit. I mean, they've even sort of relaxed used to be you got to go to business school and all this now they take just smart liberal arts students and they teach them what they need to, to know now so I think it's good education yes I I always tell people going into college or or that have plans for law school you should major in what whatever you're best at whatever you love to do is you're going to have the best grades if you're in a subject matter that really resonates with you yeah. And it doesn't matter so much if you if you're going to law school after that or some type of grad school. So you might as well pick what you're super interested in. Makes sense. That's what I was going to ask you. So that would be your advice if you if you're interested in law school. Yes, I don't think you need a certain undergrad at all. And so I would you know and enjoy your four years of college as much as you can. And I think your your grades will be better for it if you choose a major that you're you're really interested in and that you love. Absolutely. I mean, easier said than done though, right? I mean, knowing exactly <laughs> what you want, what you're going to like, I and mean, it's not so easy. No, it's not that you can, uh, that's why you could change if you need right. to. We eventually get there, but some, some people are luckier than others where they, they sort of start on the right path. 
I would say my path in life has been pretty crooked, but I eventually sort of got there. Um, do you, I'm curious, uh, since we're a technology company, do you use technology in your business and how has that helped you or hurt you or maybe in the middle? Um, well, that's a very broad um, topic, technology. Um, I think overall it's helped. It's definitely changed the practice of law. You know, okay. when I started practicing, um, we didn't even have, we had, we didn't even have email. Um, so we, no one was really using email, not inter-office or emailing clients. You know, we were still faxing letters. Um, there were no iPhones. And so it was really when you left the office, you left the office and you were only working when you were kind of in your, you know, in your seat. And I think, you know, with obviously the iPhone and, and laptops, you know, the client expectation is to have more access, you know, to their um, family law attorney, especially. Um, and you're kind of, you know, on 24-7 almost. Um, I would say that's, uh, it's hard not to have uh, that downtime or to have that line drawn between mm -hmm. work and personal. But on the other hand, and I will, and I will take the flip side any day, you know, we have we have the ability to be so much more mobile and transient in our in our practice. So I, I can be anywhere and work if I have my phone and my laptop. I can yeah. be on a Zoom settlement conference or a hearing. Um, so I, I think overall it's been an advantage. And I just think, you know, being able, you know, to be anywhere and work from anywhere is has been just a game changer for the practice of law. Um, and also for the clients, um, you know, I think they're not they're not paying for attorneys, you know, to to drive, uh, you know, two hours to a court appearance and back. It's so much more efficient. Um, so while while people might have access to you, and I, and I think it becomes there's no more nine to five office hours. I think the flexibility is worth the trade off. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I hear this consistently. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you can el eliminate a lot of the, you know things like travel and, you know, for one meeting an hour, you can do it via, you know, Zoom. It, it just creates greater, much greater efficiencies, right? That's, we're not going to go back to the old way of doing things. I do not think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. That, that's, that's terrific. Um, okay. Excellent. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap this up here, but if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and they have an ultra high net worth, portfolio, what's the best way for someone to reach you? Um, well, if you um, Google my name, uh, my website will come up at Seidman and Bancroft. And on there is a phone number and an email. Email is always best. It's mmazay at seidman.com. But all the contact information is on our website. Excellent. Good. Well, listen, it's been great to have you. And uh, it's been interesting to hear about your practice. And again, this has been Monica Mazze from Sidman and uh, Bancroft in San Francisco. Um, thank you for joining us today. This, is, this uh, show is sponsored by Emotion Track, and we use artificial intelligence to collect nonverbal insights that people use for case preparation for uh, mediations and trials. Thank you very much, Monica. Oh, thank you. This was so fun. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye bye.